0: Have you ever been in a time in your life when God just didn't make sense? That you would like to ask God a few questions. That you would like to be able to say, God, you know, why do you let good things happen to bad people? Or why do you let bad, uh, bad things happen to good people? You know, this, there's just some times that we just don't understand God. Well, our next series of messages is called Misunderstanding God. Sometimes we feel like we understand God. Sometimes we feel like we misunderstand God. And if you've ever been in that situation where you would like to ask God a few questions, raise your hand. The rest of you are lying. All right. (laughs) Because you would really like to ask him uh, a few questions about your life, about why this, why that. And I think it's very legitimate. And what we're going to be doing is looking inside the prayer journal of a prophet. Now, that's pretty cool. To look inside the prayer journal of a prophet Habakkuk and how he struggled with some of the things that God was doing and how he was just gut level, honest, authentic in his questions. And so that's where we're going in, in the weeks ahead. So here's something to think about. Who's your one? We've been talking about who's our one way back in the fall. We're talking about who's our, one. who's your one and, and that you've been praying for, that you've been looking for that opportunity to invite, to extend an invitation to. I literally had somebody in between gatherings, Crystal, share with me a story about how a family member she put on the board out in the gallery back in the summer during the same month that, that person that she put, family member she put on the board, she started praying for them on a regular basis started attending church back in Oregon, hadn't been in church in 14 years. So God is already answering the prayers of those that we put on the board, and we need to remember that. So who's your one? Maybe you would invite them to this misunderstanding God, because I promise you everyone has at some point, or maybe is currently, at that point, well, they just like to ask God a few questions. They'd like to set up an appointment with God and they would like to ask him a few questions. Well, this is an opportunity where we're going to kind of dive behind that. Now, here's, the, here's an opportunity for you. On the 19th of October is our pumpkin party, which is a great big blowout event. We have hundreds of people. We kind of take over farmland adventures. And so we'll do the same thing this year. we invite you to invite your one, invite a friend, invite them to come and be a part of that time together. And that's on Saturday. Saturday. Saturday night, and then invite them back for Sunday morning as we kick off Misunderstanding God. Just an idea, put it in your prayer tank, be praying about it, and be uh, considering, all right? So I'll ask you one survey question. Have you ever wanted to ask God a few questions? There's never ever a time in your life whenever God didn't make sense. I'm going to ask you a second question. It's a series of questions. It's a survey day, okay? So survey day number two is I want you to go to your, take your phones out and go to this website. And we're going to ask you to complete a survey. Maybe during the service. It took me all of 30 seconds last night to complete it. It just... There's a flood coming. I think that's what that means. Uh, So if you didn't know that already. uh, So anyway, you're going to just take this survey on your own and complete it. You can complete it entirely during this gathering and just pretend like you're listening to me and taking diligent notes. And so anyway, this is what you can do. We'd like to hear how God has touched, moved, or not moved in your family in this series of messages. And then at the very end is where this might take a little bit longer. if, If there's something that we missed or something maybe we covered too much of or, or something like that, that you'd like to say, hey, Mike, would you consider about praying about maybe sharing a message along these lines? This is an opportunity for you to speak back, communicate back to us. That's that survey that that's for you to be thinking about and be working through during our gathering today. No way did I anticipate in this series of messages that we would end up in marital bliss because we've done the Song of Solomon in six weeks, all right? But hopefully, whether you're married or you're single, it has given you a picture for what should be and what could be. Big phrase there what should be. This is what a marriage, this is what love, this is what marriage, this is what sexuality is supposed to look like. But it, it could. It can get there, again, if we operate within God's parameters. That's kind of where we've been going. Now, today, we're going to talk about, to close out the series, endurance. And the endurance of a, a love that lasts through the years. The old Kenny Rogers song. So, if you think about endurance, that's a word that kind of conjures up in my mind, kind of some negative feelings. Negative thoughts, in that it sounds like I'm just grinding it out, like I'm just making it to the end, I'm, I'm going along to get along, I'm just sweating it out, but I'm not really enjoying it, okay? That's not the word endurance that I'm talking about here. It's not just simply uh, tolerating one another kind of endurance. No, endurance that I speak of today is one of stamina, is fortitude, of resolution. It's one where it speaks of, uh, we made it through some storms, And because we have a higher standard of what love is, we're going to be able to make it further in life. Because we're living on a different love paradigm than everybody else out there, then we want to make sure that we have that endurance kind of love. That's where we're going with our message today. But here's what I want us to do before we can go any further. We've got to acknowledge some people in this room. There's some in this room that have endured for the decades. And we want to recognize them today. So if you are married and in this room and your marriage partner is with you, they must be present to win, okay? Must be present to win. Uh, and you're in this room, uh, would you, if you've been married 10 years or longer, would you stand to your feet? 10 years or longer, stand up. All right, give these first ones a round of applause. All right, good. 10 years in the books. All right, if you have been married for 20 years or longer, all right, remain standing everyone else be seated all right 20 years or longer give these guys a round of applause all right you see where i'm going with this Lori and i are, uh, we'd have to sit down on this one because we're not quite there yet 30 years or longer all right 30 years or longer very good very good says a lot right there all right now 40 years or longer all right Give them a hand. We're doing well. We got more in this service. We're going for the big golden years now. Fifty years or longer. Remain standing. Woo, give these a big round of applause. All right, we've got four couples remaining. Now I'm going to just start counting off the years. Fifty-one years or longer. Huh? Fifty-two years or longer. Huh? Huh? Are y'all sitting down there? All right. Do we have one remaining? How many years? What? Ah. Right. So. I got I got to ask you a question. Here it, this is to my favorite restaurant, one of my favorite restaurants in town. You could take me out to eat with you. Otherwise, you can go together. All right, but you're going to have to answer this question. What's the secret sauce? Both of y'all get to answer this. I'm going to give you th- 3 seconds to come up with your answer. How many years married now? 65 65 years. What is the secret sauce? Who wants to go first? You okay. <laughs> all right. Well, you just work through problems and you trust in God to be there for you. I love it. I love it. I love it. Give him a hand. That's a good answer. Good answer. Secret sauce to staying married to this guy. Love for him and for God. All right. Very good. Give him a hand again. A lot to say for that. And I thought, we can't have a marriage series and talk about the Song of Solomon and not acknowledge those who've gone so far and given so much. Thank you all for, for being able to be, share this day with us. Because as we talk about more rain and as we talk about love today, may love pour down like rain. Uh, so that's the metaphor today. You know, if, if we talk about love, the, not all love is created equal. Okay, we're all born into a home, into a family, into a system, broken or not. That modeled gave us a template of love. Every one of us, okay? None of us are exempt from it. I don't care if you didn't grow up with your parents and you were adopted before you left the hospital. You still grew up in an environment where a template of love was established. With that template of love, was your template a good template? Was it one that you want to repeat, or is it one that you want to erase and start afresh? As you think about love, we got to understand and evaluate the love that I have in my heart, or the love that has been exemplified, or the template of love that I have, is it the right kind? Because the kind that the world dishes out out there, the most common, the most popular, the most pervasive kind of love is not necessarily the kind of template you want to continue to live off of so let 's get these really quickly. This is the template that the world gives out there. You could probably come up with five more or ten more temporal love it 's very temporary it has an expiration date on it. It will only last so long um, it, it, I fall out of love. I no longer love you. I once loved you. That kind of temporal love is. That's the, that's the human love, okay? Conditional love. I love you when. I love you if. Conditional love. Then there's the shallow love. I talked about this a few weeks ago. Some people never make it beyond the surface in their love relationship. They might love each other. They might go for 60-something years, but did they ever go to the depths of really understanding the hurts, the pains, the ups and the downs of what is going on inside of someone's soul, a soul kind of love. Self-serving is another example of the kind of love that is reproduced in this world. It's, I'm in it for me. As long as you are making me happy, I'm in this relationship. It's a self-serving kind of love. we got to kick the me out of here and and get the we in, okay? Uh, Then there's the perverted kind. Now, guys and gals you can fill in the blank on this one. There's as many different forms of redefining love and redefining marriage and redefining identities and redefining and redefining that it is one hot mess in what it is out there. And I say we have got to call a spade a spade. If it is perverted, if it's off God's original plan, then we need to get off of that template and we need to erase that template. We need to move to a divine love. All right? Divine love is the love that God has for us. It's the love that Christ models for us. In fact, today in the message, I want you to parallel all throughout this. Does this love represent Christ's love for me? And do I give that same kind of Christ's love to my spouse? Because if it's a divine love, then it will look totally different. It will be an intimate love. It will be an identifying kind of love. It will be an invincible love. It will be an infinite love. It will be an invaluable love. And that's the kind of love in the Song of Solomon in the last chapter of the 20th of the 22 poems that he lists out for us that we're looking at today. So find Song of Solomon chapter 8. If you have your journals, you've been journaling along with us, here's where we're going to be today. Chapter 8, we're going to be at the, what one scholar said is the most important passage in all of the Song of Solomon. It is most important because of the depth and the density of all that it has to say to us, how it challenges us. It's one of the most powerful in the entire book. As we look at this passage, we're going to learn about divine love and and that—that those words that we just spoke of. But let's look at this passage, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 5, and then we'll go on from there. Verse 5 says, Who is coming? excuse me, verse 4. I adjourn you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that you not stir up and awaken love until it pleases. Okay, this is a phrase that's used several times in the passage, several times in all of the, the poems. He's challenging. It's written to singles. It's written to single women. It's written to singles out there who they're looking for love, okay? That's not a bad thing. Nothing wrong with that at all. But let's do this. Let's develop a healthy template of what love could and should be, and then let's pursue that. And if it's anything off of the deviant of God's template of divine love, let's not not do it. Let's exit out of our love paradigm. And so, with that being said, let's jump into it. Verse 5. Who is coming up from the wilderness? Again, using metaphors, using imagery here. Who's coming up from the wilderness leaning on her beloved? Under the apple tree I awaken you. There your mother was in labor with you. There she uh, who bore you uh, was in labor. Set me a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is strong as death and jealousy as fierce as the grave. Its flashes are the flashes of fire. The very flame of the Lord. Circle the word Lord. The only time the word Lord appears anywhere in the book of Song of Solomon is right here in verse 8. Now, it's not saying that, hey, he waited to insert the Lord into his relationship to the very end. Again, this is not a narrative. This is poetry. He's actually giving the secret sauce of which you heard from both of them back there. Uh, The secret sauce is a divine love, an interjection of Jesus into the storyline of my love life, okay? Jesus is not a part of the storyline of your love life. It's going to be an inferior human kind of love from the get-go. So now we get the the flame of the Lord. Now we go to verse 7. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it out. If a man offered for love all of the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. So you look at this passage, we understand an incredible life principle that divine love originates in divinity. Divine love originates in divinity. Divinity is a word for God. We get to have divine love. My love ratchets up. The quality of my love, the quantity of my love goes to an exorbitant level, to a divine level, to a mysterious level to a warp that no one else has known. That's why I say when an unbeliever marries a believer, they're already unequally yoked because a believer has experienced a depth of love, a breadth of love that no one can compare to. This person who's not a believer is nowhere going to be able to love them at the depths and the breadth that, that a person who knows Christ. So what we have to do is we have to understand and bring those two loves together and understand that divine love is where it all begins. And so... When you look at love, you can anything short of divine love is going to be human love. Because the very nature, the very core, the very essence of our God is love. 1 John chapter 4 verse 16 says, "God is, in fact read this out loud with me. God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him." So the fact that I have love in me how do I get love in me? Because I have God in me. And when God is in me, he's abiding in me. And guess what's abiding in me? But his love is abiding in me. Anything short of that is not God's love. It's not divine love. It will be an inferior form of love. Mark it down big, plain and straight. What we're focusing on is not the human love and debunking that. We're focusing on the divine love and aiming for that wanting that in us and how do we get there but it's going to be through a relationship with jesus christ i'll just give you the end of the story right now relationship with jesus christ sets me on path to be able to love at a divine level so five qualities of a divine love between a husband and a wife this is what we're aiming for this is what we're looking for singles in the room this is what you're aiming for this is what you're looking for so are you ready here it is love number one is love is intimate There's a connectedness that is nowhere seen, felt, or tasted, or smelt in any other form than in a faith marriage where God is at the origin and the source of love. Anything short of that is going to be an inferior kind of love. You remember several times, I think five to be exact, five different times in the book of Song of Solomon, it talks about soul love, soul love you got to love somebody at a soul level. So many people love them at a body level, at an image level, at a what can you bring to me level. It's a soul level love is where it starts. And from that soul level love, then I'm able to fully love you. Some people talk about making love in the bedroom. I want to say love is made in the kitchen. Love is made in the living room. Love is made whenever you bring the groceries in from the car. Love is made whenever you pay the bills. Love is made when I sit down and I listen to your heart. Love is celebrated in the bedroom. You don't make love in the bedroom. You celebrate love in the bedroom. And so love is made whenever we're connecting at a soul-heart level. Look at verse 5. I like this statement, so unique, probably won't be that big epiphany moment, but if you understand it in its context, it's very, very big. He says this, who is coming up from the wilderness? We don't know who's speaking here. It's just speaking of this couple coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved. As if they're walking arm in arm, hand in hand, shoulder on head, head on shoulder. They are inseparable. There is a physical intimacy that they're experiencing with one another. And again, it happens because there's a soul intimacy with one another. The soul intimacy doesn't happen. Guess what? The physical intimacy happens only in moments and times. Soul intimacy, you never live without that. And then it generates beautiful physical intimacy. Some scholars believe that this is a double entendre, that actually this wilderness walking up from is literally that they're from the bedroom. They're walking from the bedroom. They've been together. Now, whether it's that or it is literally they're out walking through the field and they're walking up from out of the wilderness and they're walking hand in hand, we're going to go with the most basic interpretation today. But notice this. It is they're leaning on one another only time this word is used in the Hebrew Bible. So circled, if you've got your little journal Bible, the only time this word is used in all of the Hebrew Bible is right here. It's a double entendre. Uh, and it means the, this idea of leaning on one another physically, but leaning on one another in a very beautiful, intimate, connected kind of way. I think about it like this. Now, again, PDA, public display of affection. Now, maybe that's never been a big deal for you, but uh, in, in, the, in the world, and the culture in which we can watch it on television and watch PDA, public displays of affection anywhere and everywhere, I see some people in places, I think, you do that out in public? Why do you do that in public? You do that somewhere else behind closed doors. So you, you see that kind of stuff. Well, up until the French Revolution, that didn't happen in, in Western society. Up until western it was buttoned neck up to the uh, up to the, up to their up to their neck, and there was there was dresses down to their ankles and anything else that beyond that was immodest and you did not show public affection to one another. well what is he doing here he you see them leaning on one another you see them connected to one another and in the Mediterranean or in the Arab world to this day, you will never see a man holding a woman's hand. You'll never see public displays of affection because in that culture, in that time, you just didn't do that. And even to this day, there's places you don't do that. I went to a church camp. I can remember going to this church camp because you go to meet girls and Jesus on the side. And you went to this church camp as a kid growing up. And it was interesting. One year, it was like this little pod of people and that little pod and that couple and that was a couple and all these couples lasted a week and then they all broke apart but they were great for the week right and uh and it was it was it was pretty uh pretty riotous at times whenever you would see some these people out uh, doing what they did at church camp again i remind you Uh, until the next year came along and they had an entire new camp director I think the last camp director got fired because of this. And so they introduced a new rule called no PDA rule, public display of affection. So literally, you could not even hold your girlfriend for the week's hand. You could not even hold her hand. You could not kiss them. You could not do any of that kind of stuff at camp. It was like rocking camp. I'm well, changing the whole parent. There were PDA police that they would watch for you. And maybe you might sit in chapel at night and hold a finger, but you better not get caught holding that finger. That, that was it. That was, the, that was the rule. Well, just imagine that as a cultural rule. And now think about this couple. What are they doing? They're leaning on each other. There's a connectedness. There's an inseparability that's going on. There's an intimacy that's being physically shown that's happening internally as well. There's love is an identity. Love is an identity. Now, this may set some of us off because, again, we're so individualistic as, as in our culture today that sometimes we miss this. But divine love is our identity. It's think, think about it like this. Who are you? If I just ask you, who are you? What would your answer be? A lot of people would say, well, I... They would answer it by, I am what I do. I am a police officer. I am a doctor. I am a a homemaker. I am a a teacher. I am a student. Their identity is in what they do. The problem is, is if you ever let go from what you do, you will lose your identity, okay? And you've seen people that have done that. They've lost their identity. That's not, the way we're supposed to be defined as our identity. Our identity is made up in whose I am, okay? Whose am I? Who who do I belong to? Okay, well, here's a verse in scripture just to kind of picture this. I am first and foremost, I belong as a follower of Christ. I belong to Christ. Now look at the way Christ looks at me. Looks from heaven, looks down to earth, looks at Mike McDaniel. How does he see him? He sees him as a chosen race. As a royal priesthood, as a holy nation, as a people for His own possession, I belong to Christ. My identity is in Him. There is a beautiful piece of art that's out in the gallery that just went up this week. That you can go out and even participate in the art story that's going on today. That uh, that's there. Look at it and read every one of it. It's about your identity. Your identity is in Christ. But my identity is also in whose I am because I am Lori's and Lori is mine. I gave myself to her at the altar. She gave herself to me. And we are on a mission to become one, not two, but one. And that one is me giving myself completely over to her and her giving herself completely over to me. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 4 says, The wife gives authority over her body to her husband. Basically, my body is now yours. What does the husband do? The husband gives his authority of his body over to his wife. Now, my body is yours. What, how can I be anything else but hers? And how can she be anything else but mine? So that is the all-in, bought-in to relationship. Now, let's look at verse 6. Where do we get this? Set a seal, set me a seal upon your heart, circle the word heart, and a seal upon your arm, circle the word arm, The word arm, the word heart are very important to see and notice the sequencing of them. He says, I want you to know that I am sealed with. And every commentator I read from this week point to the fact that this seal is like a, a seal, like a signet ring seal, like a ownership seal, like I belong to somebody's seal. And notice where the seal is applied to first. It applies to the heart. And we're connected to God and He seals us in Him. That's why in Ephesians chapter 1, it talks about being sealed by the Holy Spirit. It's why we are sealed in Christ, okay? There's this sealing effect, but it also is a seal upon my arm. In the Egyptian world, and some people have pointed that this book was read to the, the Egyptian world. Again, why? Because Pharaoh may have been Pharaoh's daughter may have been the first wife of, uh, uh, of Solomon. This may have been to the, the, the Pharaoh community or the Egyptian community that around the bicep of, a, 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 of an Egyptian woman, they would put a golden seal around her to indicate that she is given to someone else. She is off the market. She is unavailable. How do we do that today? Right there. That little, for me, a piece of plastic or rubber. For others, it's a piece of gold. For others, it's a piece of whatever. But it's it's an important little seal that says that Mike McDaniel is off the market. It's a reminder to me that I'm off the market, that I am given to someone else, that my life, my love, my devotion belongs to someone else. It is no longer about me. It is now about we. Our identity is in each other. The problem in our world of me and the we and the us is we have a hard time being about me. We're always, uh, we have a hard time being about we. We're always about us. Let's go to number three. Love is also invincible. Love is invincible. Verse six is the epic point of this entire poem. And again, Longman said, it's the most important poem in all of the 22 poems. So now we're looking at the very core of it all. The very core of this entire book. The very essence of this book is in verse 6 alone. We've already read about the seal. But notice what else he says. For love is as strong as death. And jealousy as fierce as the grave. What a statement. How strong is your love? that love that, that you have for that other person. How strong is it? The word here for strength is used by David when he's writing about the Lord's strength. In the book of Psalms, verse eight, chapter 89, verse 13. In the Psalms, it says this, you have a mighty arm, speaking of God, you have a mighty arm, strong is your hand, high is your right hand. Basically, he's praising God for the strength of his arm. I right, don't miss this the same word that he used to describe the divine strength of God, he uses to describe the divine strength of love. Your love is strong. For love is strong as death. Whenever you look at Song of Solomon, you are seeing what I think is the Old Testament version of 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter in the New Testament. When you read 1 Corinthians 13, what do you read there? Love never fails. Love is as strong as God is strong. Does God ever fall get weak? Is God ever broken? No. Does God ever become impotent? No. Does God ever become uh, uh, frail? No. He is strong. Our love is strong. So people who talk about their love growing weak, they're not talking about divine love. They're talking about human love. Love that is divine never stops. When I think about marriage, and I've done, I can't remember. I wish I had kept a track in 29 years, nearly 30 years in ministry. I wish I'd kept track of all the weddings that I'd done. Probably about a half of the weddings that I've done, the couples will come and say, they'll request, hey, we want to write our own vows. We don't we don't want the traditional vows, and I'm fine. I'm way fine with that. I'm really, I really am. It's going to sound like I'm not, but I am. But here's, here's, here's my fear, is we might, in our attempt to be very personal with writing our vows, we might miss or skip some incredible truths that are made up in the traditional vows. For example, I'll hear people talk about, I love you since the day I saw you, uh, I met you, I've always wanted to be with you, you're the person for me, blah, 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 blah. And a lot of it is a feeling-based kind of vows, which again, it's a wedding ceremony, it's heart-to-heart and all that kind of stuff. But if it's only a feeling-based kind of vows and it's not a commitment kind of vows, I think we're missing the vows. Listen to these words. To have and to hold from this day forward for better or for when you're a jerk or worse. For richer or whenever you're not making so much and we're just barely making it or for poor. In sickness or in health. To love, but not just to love, to cherish. Tell Death, us, part, according to God's holy ordinance. Tying it back to the divine anchor, tying it back to God's divine plan for what real love is supposed to be. That's what we are anchored. A love that is strong is death. Jealousy as fierce as the grave. Why does he even bring grave and death into the picture? Because till death, us do part. That's how long our love is supposed to last. Till the grave snatches us up until death takes us away. But have you noticed this? Notice this. He says, love is stronger than death. I've seen it more than once. It's sad, but it's beautiful all at the same time. Whenever a couple's been married for 50, 60 years, they've given themselves fully, completely to each other. They've honored the vows. They've kept the vows. They've endured the storms. Man, every marriage has storms. You don't give up and you don't give in. You hang in there. And you go through the seasons of life. And then one of them passes into eternity off the scene. And there's one now standing alone. And it's hard, it is PTSD. It is, it is everything that they can do to keep living. They, they, they can't even function. You, you, know, you, you know what I'm talking about. You've seen maybe a handful because it did not happen very often these days. But when you see it, you say it's beautiful and sad all at once. What, what happened there? That person may have gone off the scene, but love is stronger than death. And love is still there. The person that they do love is no longer there. And you see it torn away, but you also see that love is strong. Number four, love is infinite. Notice where the the love comes from. The love originates, it flashes, or flashes of fire, all right? Who doesn't like a bonfire and some s'mores? But you know the way I start fires? It's lots of kerosene, lots of igniter. I I flunked Boy Scouts. I can't start a fire to keep a fire going. So I just douse that baby down. And hopefully by the time it runs out of the flighter field, hopefully the fire sticks. Flashes of fire. The very flame of the Lord that water can't even quench. Love. Death, listen, real divine love. Death can't stop. And water can't quench because it's divine. That's a love that is unstoppable. That's a love that never ends. Number five, love is invaluable. You can't put a price tag on it. When you see it, when you experience that kind of love, you can't settle for second best any longer. You, 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 you won't want to go back. And you won't cash it in. But the thing is, I see so many people, oh my gosh, so many people who will sell their love for some cheap rendezvous. Who will sell their commitment for some promotion on a job that will literally take them away from their family more and will end up robbing their marriage. I ask you today this question, what is your marriage worth to you? What's the price tag on your marriage? Hopefully, you can say, You can't buy it. You can't offer me up a, some rendezvous. You can't offer me up some, some, you know, plush living. You can't offer me up a package that's going to pull me away from my, my bride or my husband. You can't. There's no position, there's no success that's going to pull me away. I am not compromising my family so many people do this. Look at verse 7. He says, If a man offered for love all of the wealth of his house, basically you measured your wealth not by what's in your 401k, what's your net worth whenever you take away your debt. And basically all you had in this time is what you were standing on, walking on, living in. It was your house. It was your home. It was the property. It was the cattle. It was the sheep. That's it. What if somebody came up and put everything in front of you and said, you can have all of this. Would that buy your love and loyalty and your commitment? And then what does he say? He would be utterly despised. He would be laughed at. You cannot buy this love. It is intimate. It is identifying. It is invincible. It is infinite. And it is invaluable. You cannot buy this love. Where does this love come from? It's not manufactured. You can't drum it up. You can't feel your way into that kind of love. It comes because of a divine relationship with God. Now here, I'm going right back to the beginning. God is love. And everyone who abides in God abides in love. Remember that. Where does this kind of awesome divine love, how do I love my wife in this extensive way? How do I love my husband till death us do part? How do I get there? You won't get there outside of a relationship with God. Whenever Paul gave his commentary on marriage, Ephesians chapter five, verse 25, he was tying it back to Genesis. Genesis. He's referring back to the original marriage. And he said, back in the original marriage, guess what? That is a picture of Christ's marriage to us. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. As Christ, as an example, as the standard, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. See, the quality of your marriage, the quality of your love relationship with your spouse has a direct correlation to your love relationship with God. When you have a hot-hearted relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you are now able to love your bride, your husband, like only God could. Because it was God who loved you that way, you're able to love your spouse that way. It is a divine interaction. It's a divine triangle, a healthy triangle, where because God loves me and I love God and I love my bride and my bride loves God, it is this healthy triangle that the closer and closer I grow to God, the closer and closer we grow together. It is a bonding coming together. We're going to move at this time appropriately into the Lord's Supper. If you're a follower of Christ today and you're in a good relationship with Christ, I encourage you, we're going to have three stations. There's one, two, three across the front. There's three across the back. Here in a second, not yet, I'm going to invite you to go to one of these stations. When you are ready, if you are ready. If you're not ready, just stay where you're at. Stay in a spirit of prayer. If you're not there, don't feel any obligation to go. But I want us to remember this, that when you come to the Song of Solomon, That for 1,500 years, scholars interpreted the Song of Solomon as allegorical, as really a picture of Christ. And again, I say this, when I love Lori through the lens of Christ, I love her with a divine love. When I love Lori through my best template, my best efforts... I will only love Lori through the lens of my best efforts. But if I can love her like Christ loved the church, wow, I enter into a divine love that's invincible, that's infinite, that's invaluable. Everything we've talked about. And you see a picture of Christ's love for us when you read the Song of Solomon. Whenever you read and it says, set me as a seal upon your heart. It's interesting whenever you think about in Ephesians chapter one, it literally talks about the Holy Spirit being a seal on our life, on our hearts. Whenever you think about it, when it goes on, it says a seal upon my arm. And then love is strong. As strong as what? As strong as death. You can't see a better picture of love than when you look at Christ on the cross. For greater love has no man than this that a man lay down his life for his friend. That's exactly what Jesus said. That's exactly what Jesus did. He laid down his life for us. You want to love your spouse well? Fall in love with Jesus. Enter into that sealed relationship. Enter into that strong kind of love that jealous, fierce as the grave love. God is a jealous God. He is deserving of every bit of our love and devotion. That's why we say every week, we give God our first. We give God our best. We give God our first. We give God our best because he is a jealous God. It goes on to say that the very flame of the Lord. See, the flame of the Lord is a picture of the purifying work of Christ in us. He Makes us. I've said this before to sum this series up in so many ways. This message doesn't. That God may make... That maybe God gave us marriage, as Gary Thomas said, not to make us happy, but to make us holy, to purify us. And when I am pure and when I am holy, then I become happy. Then I really enjoy marriage. But when it's about self and the selfishness of my flesh... It's going to fail miserably every single time. I get a picture of marriage here. I get a picture of Christ here. I fall in love with Christ more, and I love Lori better when I love Christ more. Do you have a relationship with Christ today? That's where it starts. It doesn't start at the altar when you got married. It starts right here where you're sitting. Have you given yourself to following Jesus? Would you bow your heads with me? If you've never given yourself to Jesus, let's start where it matters. You'll never love the one you say you love and I know you love them. I know you gave your vows to them and I know you love them. You'll never love them fully as you could possibly love them until you've experienced Jesus intimately. Have you experienced Jesus? Where you're at, you can just say, Jesus, I need you. Yes, I need to love my spouse better, more fully, more completely. But God, I need you. Just tell him in your own words. I'm going to pray and then we're going to open up our time and you can go whenever you're ready and whenever God lays it on your heart to go, this is your time. Father God, we pray that in this moment together that you will just be very, very real to our hearts and our lives and where we're, where we're not whole, Lord, would you make us whole? Where we're holding back, would you help us to let go and to say yes to you? Lord, we won't stop We won't relent until you have all of us. We're going to keep giving ourselves away, Lord, giving, giving ourselves away, Lord, because we know that when we have all of you, when we are experiencing you, Jesus, I can love more fully, more freely, more divinely. God, help us to get out of human love and get in with you, Jesus, and learn how to love like never before.